message series called Christ Conflict. And uh, last week we talked about the spiritual conflict, kind of set the groundwork for this series because everything is formed by spiritual beings. Everything is informed by the spirit. Um, as society around us, the culture around us, particularly in the United States, but the society around us trends towards a, mer- a more diverse view of God, who he is and, and who he isn't in many's opinion, uh, <clears throat> there is a rising conflict between the church and the world and as to what truth is. And it's, n- it's nothing new. Uh, you, if, you, if you venture out very far, you get on social media, uh, people have their own truth and they will tell you, this is my truth. You don't have to believe in it. You can have your own truth. But I got my truth and I'm going to believe what I want to believe. And that, ha- that covers a, a, a lot of different areas of life. And, and you might look at them and say, no, man, that is, that's not truth. But it, to them it is. But this is uh, becoming more prevalent in our society. And we as people of the church need to know how to respond in, in these situations, how to respond to the people around us, particularly those that we love or those that we're witnessing to, those that we're trying to influence. Um, so in this series, we're, we're kind of looking at the early church and how the early church was instructed to respond in a Christ-like way to false teachings and practices that were entering the church. And we're going to use some early church, first century church examples today of how truth was being twisted even 2,000 years ago. The early church was instructed to respond in truth using the, 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 the truth of the Word of God, using the words of Jesus, using truth to combat those that have a false truth. We must do the same thing. Our key scripture through this series is taken from Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 which says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Hold on to that word philosophy. We're going to circle back around to it. Which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Philosophy. Put up that graphic for me, Candy, that first graphic. So I said this earlier, but I want to uh, emphasize that everything is informed by the Spirit. The things that we hear today, at the top of the chart here, the, the Spirit. Now, now, wouldn't it be nice if everything was informed by the Holy Spirit? But that's not what I'm saying here today. Everything's informed by a Spirit. The things we see in society today, in, in all of society, whether it's in politics or education, whether it's in the media or in entertainment, <clears throat> Even in the church, oftentimes, which is, which is sad but true, that the, the spirits of this world, we, we, we read about them last week in Ephesians, we don't wrestle against people, right? Flesh and blood, we wrestle against elemental spirits in the scripture today. Elemental spirits. They're spirits. Some would say they're the fallen angels, or some would call them demons. Use your words. Um, all applicable. Spirits are informing or influencing all parts of society. You can see in the chart here, the, spirit, the spirits of this world are influencing philosophy, which, again, we're going to talk about today, society, which we'll hit on throughout the next few weeks, politics, and that's next week, even the church. There's spirits that infiltrate the, the leadership of the church. And, you know, I was talking to someone earlier, and they were actually thanking me for last week's message, and they said the church they grew up in, you know, taught like that, but it made me think that not all churches teach like we teach, and that's on God, right? That's not our business. However, we want to be careful not to be led by false spirits, and that's why we're doing this series, y'all. That's why we're doing this series, to make you aware, to make us aware that there are spirits that are informing all of society, and if we're not aware of that, last week I talked about, you know, little Nas X, 
<laughs> he made it in one of my sermons, y'all. y'all. And if you're, if you're older than 25, you probably don't know who that is. But if you're under 25, you're probably listening to his songs on Spotify. But we talked about the demonic influence in the, in the culture, of, in music, in entertainment, as well as in all of society. And so, so if we're not aware, then we're, we're, we're just going to buy right in, right? Social media, man. We're going to buy in. We're like, oh, I like that. Oh, I'm going to share that. And we influence others with false teachings from demonic spirits. Now, again, we said last week, we don't want to swing the pendulum too far to where we're infatuated with the demonic, but we don't want to be ignorant on the other end either. We want to be aware so that we can live a life that is, is represented by truth. But we know that spirits, this, what's this? the same spirits that are informing society today have been around since the beginning. They were informing the church in, in Paul's day, in, in James's day, in the early first century church. Same spirits. They've been around the whole time. Nothing new, guys. There's nothing new. Transgenderism is not a new thing. It's been around since the beginning because the spirits that are informing it and, and everything around, surrounding it are the same spirits. It's not new. We need to know that, right? It's important to know that because sometimes we're freaking out. We're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? The same thing that's happened since the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? <laughs> that's what the devil said, or the serpent, depending on your theology. In the Garden of Eden. So, last week we discussed the spiritual conflict. And we described it as the spirit of the world versus the spirit of God. The spirit of the world, worldliness, carnality, the spirit of the world. The spirits that inform culture for us, society around us, right? The spirit of the world versus the spirit of God. And as believers, we want to... Listen to the Spirit of God. We want to live our lives according to the Spirit of God, which is going to point us to the Word of God. And if we don't, by default, we're listening to or following the spirits of this world. There's no middle ground. You cannot be neutral. It's not possible. And so, again, this series is to help us to focus on following the Spirit of God. But last week, we talked about the, the battle between the Spirit of God or the, the tension, the conflict between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the world and how spiritual forces influence everything in the world. And they influence our philosophical perspectives. They influence societal trends and political views and even our faith communities. This week, we're going to dial into the philosophical conflict, the philosophical conflict. Would you pray with me? Father, we need your help today to, to open our minds to hear the truth of your word, to be guided by your Spirit to help expose some things in us even um, where we've allowed ourselves to believe things of the world, spirits of the world, where we've been dabbling in those things and maybe, maybe unknowingly. Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us your truth um, and help us to, to uh, make wise decisions in this battle that is going on, that we may side with Jesus. We welcome you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about the philosophical conflict. Um, I know this, that not everybody's interested in what I'm talking about right now. Um, you, you might be like, eh, I'm not much into philosophy. Or maybe you took a philosophical class in college and you're like, that wasn't for me. And so right now you're tempted to tune me out. But I hope that you'll listen long enough to maybe be exposed to some truths, some things that might could guide you. Maybe in this season of life, this makes 
It means nothing to you, but, but let me tell you this, it will one day, especially if you're a young person and you don't have kids now. When you have kids, this will matter a lot to you. You'll be like, and Pastor Mike, can you give me the notes from that sermon you preached 10 years ago? I probably won't be preaching anymore, guys. I'm just telling you now. Get it today, right? <laughs> I will not preach till I'm 80. I will not. Thank you. But philosophical conflict. Philosophy comes from the Greek word, the Greek language, and it means the love of wisdom. Philosophy means the love of wisdom. It is the study of the fundamental nature of knowledge, of reality, of our very existence. Philosophy. Ancient Greek philosophy, which we'd go back and if you're a historian, go back into the 500 BC range, even before, but following through to about, about AD 300, because the Greeks heavily influenced the Romans, which would encompass the whole age of the early church, which is where much of the Bible is talking to, talking to the early church. Ancient Greek philosophy has had a profound and enduring impact on Western society, us, even today. Every month of the year is named after a Greek god. Every day of the week is named after gods. Did y'all know that? Did y'all know that? When I realized that, I'm like, what in the world? Saturday is named after Saturn, a Greek god. It's just, it's crazy. The sun god. Um, but, but more importantly, areas like critical thinking, ethics, art, and politics have all been heavily influenced by the Greek philosophy uh, of of even thousands of years ago. Greek philosophy has also helped shape our responses to everyday life. We're influenced by Greek philosophy in our responses to everyday life. It's important to know that. If you ever wonder, like, why do I do that? Why do I act that way? It's programming from the influence of generations past that we, we don't even recognize in our lives. We do, why do we do that? Is it because grandpa did it? Mama did it? It goes even further back when it comes to philosophy. As a matter of fact, I've got a funny little cartoon to show you. So, so here's what philosophers do in the rain. The skeptic, which is a branch of philosophy, says this. Who can prove it's truly raining? Skeptical about everything. That might be you. You're just skeptical about everything. Is it the skeptics? Marshall, is it the skeptics where they come up with Missouri, the show me state? I think it is. They don't believe nothing? Show me. Got to prove it to me. It's the skeptics. That's where that comes from. Yes, Greek philosophy. See there? Didn't even know that. The cynic would say only a fool carries an umbrella. Come on. How many of you cynical? Yeah, that's me. Okay, next slide. Uh, the stoic, another Greek philosophy. We're going to hit on all these today. says, alas, well, I can't change the weather. Just why bother, right? That's the way some people are today. Why bother? Can't, can't change it. Do you think about politics? Do you think I'm the stoic when it comes to politics? I can't do anything about it, so I'm not going to worry about it. And then the Epicurean says, ooh, puddles, yay. <laughs> yeah, that's me too. Oh, jump on in, man. So next slide. We also see these ancient philosophies in modern day phrases. So here's, here's again, building on this idea of Greek philosophies influencing us today. Have you ever heard the question or something like this? It says, I question everything because I need facts to prove what's true. There's that Missouri person again. 
You got to show me, man. I got to see it to believe it. I've been that. Have you been that? Have it? Come on, y'all. I've been that guy. Thank you. Thank you. I've been that. You know, man, I got to see it to believe it. I'm not buying in, dude. I was that way with Christianity in my young 20s. People witness to me, they're Christians. I'm like, dude, no, I got to see God to believe in God. You know, that was so stupid. But this is, this is typical of the philosophy of skepticism. Skeptics want facts to validate their claims. And where there's lack of proof, they lack belief. And this, this plays out. And, 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 and I'm, not, I'm not naive to think there's not people in this room today that are right here that are skeptics. And philosophy, which challenges how you respond to the Word of God. Because you look at this and you say, well, how do I know that this is true? I'm not going to believe. Ancient texts? And if you're 18 or 19 or in that window of age and you're on TikTok, you're going to run across, and especially now that I'm talking about it because they're listening on your phone right now, so they're going to, you know, algorithms going to, you're going to see it this afternoon. But they're going to they're gonna say things like, yeah, I used to be a Christian. <laughs> I used to believe the Word of God, but then fill in the blank. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to feed the skepticism and the skeptical philosophy. And that happens a lot, especially with young people, but it happens with us not-so-young people as well. Skepticism affects our view of Christianity, of the church, of the Bible, and even of God. Skepticism. Here's another philosophy again. Have you ever heard this or something like this? I don't trust people because they're only interested in themselves. Come on, somebody. I've been that guy. I've been that guy. This is cynicism. And uh, there are some good points to the philosophy of cynicism. It can protect you from being manipulated or deceived in certain areas, but it can also cause you to not trust anyone, including God, or church leadership. And this is because cynics believe people's motives are selfish. There's a, a movement that's not brand new. It's, it's been around for actually many years, but even more recently, a movement of people that are leaving the church. They're, they're leaving the church, and, and we in the church call it deconstructionism, or they're deconstructing. They're, they're looking at everything they have ever known. You know about this, Justin. They're talking about anything they've ever known, and they're breaking it down, and they're, they're being very cynical. Why did we do this? Stephen, you and I were talking about this before church, about growing up in a, in a particular type of church, and people are leaving the church, and they're like, you know, you know, speaking in tongues, and they're, oh my gosh, that was so, ah, and then they're just cynical. They're viewing it from a very narrow lens, and they're, listen to this. Their whole philosophy is that I'm not going to believe that because the guy who said that was being very selfish in his motivation. He was only thinking of himself. That's cynicism, but by doing this and being cynical, you're being selfish. You're doing the same thing. You're accusing the person who told you the information. Uh, yeah. Okay, whatever, buddy. It's cynicism. Another philosophical perspective is stoicism. You might have heard something like this. I accept what I can't change and focus on what I can, especially my character and my reactions. <clears throat> okay. Now, we're getting this thing together right now. Stoicism. I got it all together. I think through things and I, I contemplate them. And the things I can't change, well, I just don't focus on them. I focus on the things I can change. That would make a great post on Instagram right now. Matter of fact, I probably have liked posts like that on Instagram or Facebook. If I can't the, the serenity prayer. It's based in stoicism. It's not bad, y'all. Keep praying it. But it's based in, it's based in sorry, stoicism. 
It's a Greek philosophy that I need to worry about the things I can change in me. I need to have my life in order. I need to have my life together because, well, well, that's how I get to heaven. Is <laughs> to stop sinning, to be good. And in the ancient Greeks, that is truly what they believed. The Stoics, the original Stoics, believed that if you had your life in order, control the things you can, get things in order. As a matter of fact, you, you might want to write these things down. You want to get up early, you want to eat a good breakfast, you want to exercise, you want to do some meditation in the morning and reading, you want to get good rest. That's in there. Then you want to work hard all day and you want to go to bed early. You want to get up before everybody else to get a head start. You want to get to bed early so you can rest well. If you'll do these things, you'll be wealthy and, and wise. If I haven't seen that a hundred times on social media, those same steps, they're stoicism. It's a Greek philosophy. I never knew that until I started studying for this message. Maybe you knew that. We're being heavily influenced by traditions that go back 2,500 years ago. The last one we mentioned on the screen was Epicureanism. It would sound something like this if you've heard this before. I just want to be happy and not worry about anything. Immediately I go to Kuna Matata. <laughs> that's where I go, right there. Don't worry. Wait, that's Bobby McFerrin. Come on, Nancy, help me out here. I'm, I'm missing it. Hakuna Matata. What do I, yeah. I have no worries. Yeah, if we break out in a song, I think God's going to show up and he'd be mad. So stop it. <laughs> but that's what I think of. It's not, Hakuna Matata is like not Greek philosophy, but <laughs> Epicureanism says, I just want to be happy and not worry. I got to finish this thought process. Y'all remember Bobby McFerrin? It wasn't he the don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Yes, yes. I don't, I'm not saying Bobby McFerrin was Epicurean, but I am saying this philosophy of I just want to be happy, guys. I just want to, I just want to be happy. Just, hey, I don't need no stress in my life. I just want to be happy. I just want to do my thing. Let me just be happy. And you, don't, I, you do your thing, I do my thing. I'm, I'm just going to be happy. I'm going to pursue the pleasures of life. I just want to travel and have fun. I just want to, you know, I just want to cook a good meal, eat a good meal with my family. I just want to have fun, man. Well, that, that has its roots in Epicureanism. This might potentially help someone avoid pain and enjoy life, so it's true, but it can also limit our personal growth and our spiritual formation because as we avoid pain, we avoid the opportunities for growth. The Bible tells us in James to count it all joy when we face pain. Count it all joy when you face trials, struggles, because it's that very pain that produces in you a wholeness, shalom, a completeness, spiritual maturity. And someone who might hold to more of an Epicurean philosophy would, would avoid pain, curse the pain, don't embrace the pain, run from the pain, medicate the pain. Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. Whatever it takes, medicate the pain, escape the pain. Instead of embracing the pain and allowing the pain to do its work in us. So that you can see there, there might be some positives to this. I love happy people, y'all. I'm not, I'm not a cynic. Well, in any given day I can be. But 
I just want to have fun. I just want to be happy. Come on, somebody, you just want to be happy? Where are my happy people? Please help me out here. Don't leave me on my island. Thank you. Me and Clint. We just want to be happy, man. Smoke a brisket. Shoot some deer. Catch a few fish. Absolutely. That's his love language. Smoking briskets. I just want to be happy. Let me reel this in. Our philosophies are either influenced by the spirit of God or the spirit of this world. They're either heavenly or they're demonic. They're either heavenly or demonic. And so these Greek philosophies that have influenced culture in so many ways sound, sound good in a lot of aspects. And, and honestly, I don't know that they're all bad and, and literally we're not going to hell because we entertain them, okay? If you liked something this morning on Facebook and you realize, oh my goodness, that's stoicism. It's not, it's, I'm, not, I'm not condemning you. But if, if that is your diet, <laughs> consistently, if that is your diet, you're listening to demonic spirits even though it sounds good. You know, the enemy doesn't come at you with all-out lies. He just tweaks the truth just a degree or two. And when we look at modern society, dude, it has never been as prevalent as it is today. Social media has opened up the, the portal to Greek philosophy. It's not, it's not labeled that. You don't read Facebook and go, oh, look, Greek philosophy. Nobody does that. But if you don't know where it came from, it just sounds good, bro. I'm going to embrace that philosophy. And I'm all about, you know, doing better in life and growing and all those things. But today, it's never, it's never been more prevalent than today. It's in our face. We're inundated with the philosophies of the world, which if you're consumed by that and that's your constant diet, then you're not eating from the Word of God, the Spirit of God's direction. I will say, in my opinion, okay, there may be a scripture to support this, but I'm just going to say it's my opinion that if you're eating a diet based on the Word of God from the Spirit of God, you're probably going to be more aware and discerning of philosophies that come from the spirit of the world. But if you're not eating of the word of God directed by the spirit of God, then you're not going to be as keenly aware that you are eating a diet based on the spirits of the world, the philosophies of the world. And so you're, you're here today and you're like, hopefully getting a revelation. Oh my goodness, you know, much of my diet, my mental diet the philosophies that I shape and live, that form, that shape me, form me, and that I live by, oh my goodness, they're coming from more of Facebook than the Spirit of God. Again, I'm not against Facebook, by the way. I don't think it's a bad thing. Anything can be made bad, but I don't, I'm not condemning Facebook. I'm hopefully creating an awareness. Does that make sense? Am I okay? Am I going, are you getting this, Evan? All right. So our philosophies are either influenced by the Spirit of God, Spirit of the world. Listen to what James chapter 3 says. In verse 14 and 15 and 16. But if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is not heavenly wisdom, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Contrasting the two types of wisdom. Remember, philosophy is the love of wisdom. So James is saying... If, if, if you've got selfish ambition or bitter jealousy in your hearts, don't, get, don't, don't start boasting about that. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is the wisdom of the world that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure. We're talking about heavenly, spirit-led wisdom is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. So here he's contrasting. There are two different philosophies or types of wisdom and one of them is vile and leads to all kinds of evil things. The other one comes down from heaven is all these other things, has good fruit, you could say. Isn't that interesting? That, that fruit that comes from the Spirit's wisdom is good fruit. We know in Galatians 5 how it tells us that there's the fruit of the Spirit. And so James, of course, is encouraging us that we would partake of the Spirit of God, the wisdom that comes from the Spirit of God. It's important for you and I to understand that our philosophy, our love for wisdom should come from God's spirit because it informs how we think and how we think is how we live. You could reverse engineer this and look at your life and how you're living and if it's all jacked up and wrong and it's causing heartache and pain, if you reverse engineer that, it's it's how you're living is the fruit of how you live, and the, I'm sorry, how you think. The fruit, how you're living, is the fruit of how you think, and how you think comes from either the peaceable and healthy fruit of the spirit, or it comes from the fruit of the world. Did y'all connect the dots on that? I I I I think. I mean, look. If you're not getting along with your wife, if y'all fight all the time, there's something wrong with that. That's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the temptation, I'm going to speak as a man, the temptation is to say there's something wrong with her. Pastor, you just don't understand. Man, she's evil. (laughs) Maybe she is. But don't tell her. Don't, Don't, please don't tell her that. But check you, right? Check you. What am I saying? Why am I saying it? And how is it connected the way I think? And is the way I think influenced by the things of this world? The philosophies of this world, the philosophies that are being informed by demonic spirits that circulate throughout the world. Is that what my diet is? My main intake is coming from, let's just say, social media or YouTube. I'm not, again, against any of that. It's just the philosophies that come from it potentially can be from demonic forces. Or is it coming from... People in society, forget about social media and the internet, just the people I hang out with. Are they saying, dude, she's evil? And you're like, yeah, she's evil. And then you're like, she's evil in your words. Before you blame someone else, and it, I'm, I use that marriage, but it can be you and your boss. It can be you and your coworkers. It can be you and your classmates. It can be you and your mama and them. It can be you and your siblings. Check you. You might be the problem because of where you're feeding, the, the, the diet that you're putting in your thinker, your brain. But it's important to understand that our philosophy informs the way we think about life, which plays out in how we live life. To give you an idea what that looks like, questions that we ask, like when we're asking questions like, why are we here? What happens when we die? Do we have a free will? What's right and wrong? That covers the philosophy of ethics as well as other questions about sexuality. Come on, somebody. 
When you're asking questions about sexuality, when you're asking questions about family and politics and other social issues, are you getting your answers from the philosophies of this world that are influenced by Greek philosophies from 2,500 years ago, which are influenced by the demonic spirits? Is that where you're getting your answers to all of these questions and many more? Or are you getting your answers from the Spirit of God, which we believe as Christians is truth? (laughs) Because the world's got a lot of opinions about God. (laughs) But why ask the world? Why listen to the world's opinion of God when you can actually get the answers from God? Yet that's what people do. I'm not picking on young people, but a lot of times young people are coming up and they got questions, man. They got questions. And mom and daddy, sometimes you just don't listen. And I've been guilty of that as well. I've fallen short on that too. But mom and daddy, don't listen. I don't mean with your natural ears, but with your spiritual ears. You're not discerning that your young person has questions that they need answers to. And so the young person that goes, they're getting their answers from their friends. They're getting their answers from all kinds of places. Man, I got answers from TV way back. But, you know, uh, nowadays YouTube you can get all the answers. I would say, again, not knocking social media nor knocking TikTok, but anybody under 15 that has a phone is probably getting most of their answers from TikTok, way more answers from TikTok than, you, than from their parent. And that, not all of it, but a majority of the answers coming from, are coming from the spirit of the world, demonic spirits that are never going to tell the truth of God's word. So let me take you back. I said we were going to look at the first century church. Just for a moment, we're going to wrap up. But in the first century church, they encountered some of the same difficulties that we face today. Um, And also um, the Bible and the writings of the early church leaders confronted the philosophies that were attempting to guide the first century church in the areas of wisdom wisdom and reasoning, uh, which were apart from Christ. I'm going to jump into Acts 17. Um, some of you, you, you're familiar with this story. If you're not, um, the, the book of Acts talks about the early church and the apostles and where they went and what they did. And Paul uh, was one of those early apostles that he, he wrote a lot of the New Testament, right? So there were letters to churches that he planted. He had gone in and developed and formed. But in the book of Acts, it chronicles that process. And so in Acts 17, Paul, um, had, he, he had been to a couple different cities in the uh, Asia Minor, literally, if you looked at a map and looked at Greece today, it, the Grecian continent has a lot of churches down the east coast that Paul planted, even across Greece. But he, he had worked his way down, and he was in one city, uh, Thessalonica, which in the Bible, right, First and Second Thessalonians, he was in that city, and he had gone, and he had met with the Jewish leaders, and because that was his first, that was his, that was his church planting strategy. He went to the Jewish leaders first, because he was a Jew himself, and he connected with them well, and he would, he shared with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Christ came. He is the man, the Messiah that the Bible, Old Testament talks about. And Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, and he rose again. And, and the, the Greek, uh, I'm sorry, the Jewish people in Thessalonica were like, you are an idiot, something in that nature. You know, they, but they condemned him and, and they ran him out of town and they were really, really mad. So he, he did his part there. He left, he went to another city, but going south and he, he did the same thing, went to the, the, the Jewish leaders first. They received him in his message. They were like, this is amazing. They got the revelation. He also went to the marketplace and he, he, he talked to the Greek people. So he was looking to build a church of Jews and Greeks together and he planted churches Along the way, he, he started churches. He 
gathered people, they accepted the gospel, and then he would appoint a leader and he would move to the next city. So he had done that a few times, and now he ends up in, in Acts 17, he ends up in Athens, which is like the major city in the Greek, the Greek empire at that time. It was the Roman empire, but in the, in the Greek uh, continent. Uh, let me get my words right. In the nation of Greece. There it is. That's the one I was looking for. I don't like saying stuff that isn't true. Um, so he's working his way down. He gets to Athens, southeast Greece, and he does the same exact thing. He goes to the Jews, and he shares the gospel of Jesus, and then he goes to the marketplace, and there he, he, he's in a city now. Athens is a city where Greek philosophy is everything. Even though it's under the care of the Roman Empire, you know, we're talking in the early uh, A.D., so probably A.D. 50, 60 window. And even though it's under the Roman Empire, it's still Greek. They speak Greek. They think Greek. They worship all the Greek gods, which if you remember back in school, some of you old people, back, we learned about the Greek gods, and, and they were everywhere, statues of them everywhere. There was hills with temples on them. There was a temple to Athena, right? And there was a temple, you know, Zeus over here, and, and they had all the temples. It was, it was a town of worship, a town of philosophy, and there was so much philosophizing going on. And so Paul would go into the marketplace, and he would mingle with these guys, and that's what he did here. And so Acts 17, um, verse 16. Now, when Paul was waiting for them, his friends who he had left in the previous city, so he had left the city, they, they were going to meet him there, in Athens, at Athens, his spirit inside of him was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols, literal carved marble images of Greek gods everywhere, and it just it did something on the inside of him. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, right? That's what he's been doing. Devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean, right, and Stoic philosophers, we already learned about these guys, also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? He's cuckoo. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. That's all Paul preached was Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, and they took him from the marketplace and they brought him to the Areopagus. Areopagus. I had to say it slow because that's a hard word to say. The Areopagus. Okay, Areopagus. I don't have a picture for you, but you can look it up. Areopagus was kind of like um, the Supreme Court. It was literally on the top of Mars Hill. Come on, somebody. Heard of Mars Hill? You know that Mars was a Greek god? It was actually the same god as Ares, which was a Roman god of war. Mars, Ares, both Roman, Roman and Greek god of war. Areopagus was named after Ares, the Roman god of war. And it was on Mars Hill, Mars being, is that, who cares, right? Y'all are saying that right now. I can tell. I love history. I'm sorry. I'm just, I made up with this. So they took him up on Mars Hill to the Areopagus. And it says, um, and this was again where they were, Supreme Court, this is where they would have held trials. They would have debated. They would have heard important matters. And they, they did this saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. And if you have been inundated with the things of this world, the philosophies of this world, and you begin hearing the things of the Spirit, you would say the same thing. 
These are strange things to my ears. That was supposed to be funny. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know. So Paul's message was, was being heard. The gospel is being heard. Let me just say this on a side note, a little commercial break. Preach the gospel, y'all. It may not look like your family or your coworkers or your boss or your, 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 your classmates. It may not look like they're interested. Preach the gospel anyway. Share what God's done in your life. Let people know that Jesus died for their sins and he was resurrected again to give them life. They may not seem interested on the outside, but I believe, just like in the scripture here, they're thinking, I wish to know. I wish to know. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean because the Holy Spirit is working on them. The Holy Spirit's working on them. Preach the gospel. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something New. They were inundated with the podcasts of the day. What did people have to say? They wanted to know. I want to know. If you checked, listen, we won't do it. If you check your phone right now, you can see how long you've been on social media on each app. I did it the other day and it scared me. I will never do it again. But we want to know. We want to know. Give me more information. Give me more stuff. Give me more entertainment. Epicureans, make me happy. The Stoics, help me be more discipline. The Cynic, give me more evidence that they're all wrong. <laughs> the Skeptic, I didn't believe them anyway, so it doesn't matter. Give me more, give me more. Verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. I'm preaching Jesus. He's the unknown God to you. They're interested in this new divinity, right? I proclaim to you, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Come on, somebody. This is preaching now. Paul's preaching to us. And he made from one man, talking about Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we have, I'm sorry, for in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own poets have said, and he quotes one of their poets, which probably impressed them. This guy, he knows who we are. He quoted one of their poets to say, for we are indeed his offspring. That was a line out of a poem by a Greek poet. Being then God's offspring, back to the point, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, which is what they made their idols out of. An image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Okay, let me just let me hold my finger right here because I'm not done. 
But let's let the Holy Spirit convict us right now. Am I feeding on the philosophies of the world? Is that where I get the bulk of my information that determines how I live my life? Is my life lived out based on information that's really rooted in demonic spirits? That wasn't my intent, but Holy Spirit, is that me? Or am I living my life based on the wisdom of heaven where I get my information from biblical truth that comes down from heaven above, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because if I'm getting my information here, he's saying right here, God's been overlooking that. But now, he says, repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He preached the gospel. Paul says, I know you're religious. There's a scripture that Paul writes later that says, uh, having a form of godliness, but they deny his power. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're living a godly life. You could be a stoic, and going to church could be part of your ritualistic devotion to doing things that you're supposed to do. We're, Jason, we're supposed to go to church, so I go to church. And it's very noble. I had the men stand earlier. And I am really excited to have a room full of men. Men, don't do this ritualistically because you're religious. Do this because of your devotion to Jesus Christ. Your desire, your hunger to grow from the words of the Word of God, the Spirit of God, inspiring words that cause you to, to be a little bit different when you leave here. You may not be perfect, we never will be, but we will be a little more perfect when we leave here because the Spirit of God is here and He's convicting us and He's challenging us to repent of, of soaking up philosophies of the world and get back to the Word, get back to things that can really cause us to be spiritually mature. Paul says, hey, I know you're religious. You've got a desire for God, but you don't know Him. You call him the unknown God. If you want true wisdom, then you need to know the source of that wisdom. The one true God. Let me ask the worship team to come on back up here. We're going to wrap it, wrap it up here. But I have a few questions as they're coming to the stage for you to ponder, for me and you to ponder. So let me, let me ask this. Just think about this. You, you, you can close your eyes if you want to. Just, just try to focus in on this. Who's, who's influencing my philosophy? the way I think, my perspective on life. Who, who is the major influence there? Is it the Spirit of God or the Spirit of this world? And then, and then a second question that would go right along with that is what lifestyle is my philosophy promoting? The life I'm living out based on that philosophy, is it promoting a biblical holiness or a selfish ambition? And then a similar question, but Where's my philosophy leading? Is it leading towards glorifying God or is it all about myself? Is it all about getting better? Is it all about me being more successful and making more money and impressing people that I don't even know? Is it all about me? Or is, it, is my life about glorifying God? Oh, that others would see in my life a love for Jesus, the hand of God working in my life. 
So what do we do? What do we do today if our philosophy isn't biblical? I believe that we've given enough information today that each one of us can could say. And I'll tell you, let me, let me speak. I, I'm just picking a number, but let me speak to you if you're, if you're 13, 12 years old in here. I remember feeling the presence of God at 12 years old and being convicted of my sin, being convicted of my way I think. I remember that. And I remember repenting and allowing God to guide my life. You may be 65, 75 years old in here today. And you're like, man, I've got so many regrets. I've lived my life. I'm done. Close to it. I think Paul's talking to you and I too. He's saying, repent. Repent. Repentance is a change of thinking that results in a change of living. When we repent, we turn from embracing the philosophy of the world and we turn and embrace the philosophy of heaven, the wisdom from above that James talks about that produces a good fruit in our lives. It produces life actions that glorify God. I want to read one more scripture as we, as we wrap up here. But in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20, it says, So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God, in his wisdom, saw to it that the world would never know him, Jesus, through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Worldly philosophy will never lead you to the cross of Calvary. will never lead you to the, the love of God. But God's Spirit is here. He's convicting. He's drawing. He's reminding us that we can't do it on our own. But that Jesus, Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God.